I've heard the story a hundred times, but I still like to hear Grandma tell it again. I can see her so long ago, young and beautiful, pleasant, just like her name, Naomi. Times were tough back then, and one day her husband said to her, Naomi, I've been thinking and praying. Yesterday I talked to a trader, and he tells me that he's certain I can get work in Moab. Work and bread. The Lord knows we have to eat. More talk about work and bread and more prayers and more protests from everyone. But times were tough. Stay here in Bethlehem. Things will turn around. It can't get any worse. Besides, you don't know anyone in Moab. Who wants to live in Moab? But Elimelech couldn't stand around idle. And even worse, he couldn't stand seeing Naomi and the boys go hungry. So he decided. And off they went to a new life. Off to a better life. Off to find food and work and a future. Seventy-five miles is a long way to walk, but they walked. And with the mountains, it was hard, but they made it, and soon they started their new life in Moab. Elimelech found work, and with that came food. Life was looking up. People in Moab welcomed them, and it looked like things would work out. Then the fever came. They thought it would pass, but it didn't. It got worse. Nothing seemed to help. They did all they could, but in a few short weeks, Elimelech was gone. He died, leaving his wife and boys alone in Moab. Although it has been many years, every time Grandma tells me about that night, she looks away and I can see her eyes fill with tears. She grows quiet, like the quiet before a storm. She continued. Those were tough years, but Grandma was thankful to Yahweh for her boys and the girls they soon married. She was thankful for their work and for a home and for bread. For about ten years, life was good. She missed Elimelech. But she tried hard to be grateful to God for all that she still had and all God had done for them. Then, as suddenly as a bolt of lightning, both boys died. Once there had been three men in Naomi's life. Now there were none. Once Naomi had felt full, now she felt empty. She missed Elimelech. She missed her sons. Once she had a husband and sons. Now she was a widow and childless. What could be harder on a mom than losing her only two sons? I just didn't know what to do, she continued. I cried and prayed and tried to be strong for the girls. But one morning I woke up and I knew what I had to do. The Lord was again blessing Bethlehem. There was bread. So I told my girls I was going home. The three women packed their things for the journey back to the land of Naomi. Her daughters-in-law decided to go too, so they set out.
Walking those miles between Moab and Bethlehem, Grandma had lots of time to think and pray. I loved Orpah and Ruth, she'd say, tears now caressing her cheeks, with a smile as she remembered that day. They were both so good to me. They'd do anything for me. But I knew I'd never marry again. And besides, would they wait 20 years for a son? So I said to them, go, go home. You've been so good to me. But go back to find another husband, to have a family. Go back to your family. The Lord bless you and keep you, but go, go home. There in the dusty and windswept road, the three women stood tears running down their faces, tears mixed with the dust of it all. Yes, Orpah agreed, I should go back to my family. Perhaps God will be kind again to me. So she gathered her things and turned around and went home. And there in the dust of the wilderness with the wind whipping about and the sun blazing down, Ruth made a decision. I could see it in her eyes, the way she stood in front of me, Grandma would say. And then Ruth, no, I will not leave you. No, never. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. And wherever you die, there will I be buried. Should the Lord deal with me ever so severely, if I ever separate from you? Grandma would smile. You should have seen us, she'd say. Crying, dusty and dirty. My, what a sight. So we walked back to Bethlehem. And Grandma would smile and close her eyes as she finished. Truly, the story from the book of Ruth is one of the greatest stories in all of literature. People who have no faith study the book of Ruth. High schoolers study the book of Ruth. And for the next four Sundays, with one exception, I want to take four Sundays and go through the book of Ruth. I'm calling it Soaring in September. And I want to lift some of the exciting sections out of Ruth and look at them as a congregation And so we're going to go through this book, and I want to challenge you. In fact, I'd like to extract a promise that twice a week you'd read the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. It's very short. That would mean in September you would read it eight times. And I want to challenge you to do that as part of your devotional reading, to read the book of Ruth. Next Sunday, we're going to look look at the theme called Compassion. We'll look to Ruth chapter 2. But this morning I want to talk about a different theme. And I want to encourage you to look at the book of Ruth. Now, in your worship folder is an outline. And I encourage you to turn there because as you read through the book of Ruth, you will notice the the Lord's loyalty to a woman named Naomi. We meet her early on in this book. And especially in chapter 1, we notice the Lord's loyalty. It may not seem so at first. In the book of Ruth, there are... If I could give you a gift for reading this, I would give you the gift, I'd give it to myself as well, to be able to read Hebrew fluently, because the book would really come alive as you pick up on the humor and the puns and just the word plays that are in this book. There are many. 
But let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about by just telling you the meaning of the names. And so you may want to jot down the names or the meaning of these names. And don't be worried about the spelling here. There are different ways to spell these names, so don't, don't fret if it's uh, different in your Bible. But the word, the name Elimelech, the man who died, Naomi's husband, his name means my God is king. Eli is the word for my God, and the word Melech is the word king. So my God is king. That's what his name means. Naomi means pleasant. And then the word Mahalon means uh, sickness or pining. And finally, Kilion, not finally, but Kilion also means pining or consumption. Mahalon means illness or sick. And then lastly, the word Bethlehem, especially important to note this one. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. I want to look at the three sections of chapter 1. The the book opens with five verses that we're going to call losses. And if you like to fill in the blanks, put down the word losses. In the King James Bible, it says, Now it came to pass in those days. And oftentimes that's a signal something bad's about to happen. Now it came to pass in those days when the judges ruled. If you are familiar with Scripture, you know that... After you, or before you read the book of Ruth, you read another book called the book of Judges. It goes uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, then what? Judges, and then Ruth. And the book of Judges ends with the last line, which many have applied to our culture today. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Do your own thing. If it feels good, do it. And in the book of Judges, there was no key leader. Judges would be raised up by God. They would rule. They would fall away. It was more of a federation. There was no centralized government. And so that's the time period in which the book of Ruth takes place. Everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. So Elimelech decides to go to Moab. So the book of Ruth begins in these few short verses, introducing us to these characters. And the stage is set, tragically, when the the opening concludes with these words. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. What a tragic way to have to introduce a book. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Losses. Naomi's alone. I was looking through my notes on the book of Ruth. I love studying this book. And I came across a poem, and I've inserted it into the notes that you have, a poem that helps us think a bit about times of losses and where is God in those times. And the poem goes like this. I came to the swift raging river, and the roar held the echo of fear. O Lord, give me wings to fly over if you are, as you promised, quite near. But God said, trust the grace I am giving, all pervasive, sufficient for you. Take my hand and we'll face this together, but my plan is not over, but through. And I certainly think that was the reality for Naomi. Now, the middle section, which is the largest section, I want to put one word over that middle section, and the word is loyalty. The word is loyalty. The the woman named Pleasant, that is Naomi, had suffered heavy losses. With her husband, whose name was My God is King, he had died. Her sons had died. 
And she traveled to the land of Moab, a land born out of incest, a land where the people had resisted God's own people. And at this point, Naomi is left with simply her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. By the way, where do you think Oprah Winfrey got her name? The book of Ruth. She was named Orpah, but somebody switched the letters, the R and the P, and she became Oprah, and uh, that's the story. Now you know. She was named after this woman. uh, I'm going to get them mixed up here in the story. Orpah. She was named after Orpah. And then there was Ruth. As they're in the land of Moab, Naomi hears that back in the land of Bethlehem, the house of bread, there is bread again. The famine is over. So she determines to go back. And on their way, some point in the journey, after the girls have gone with her some ways, she again emphasizes, you don't have to come with me. Go home. And one of them, Orpah, says, okay, I'll do that. And she goes home. And we should not look down on her for doing that. But Ruth takes her stand there in the middle of the road and says, no, I'm not going. And then she gives this statement, and I want to read it to you again. It's from the center of the chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. (laughs) It's an amazing statement. Perhaps the last part of it, when Ruth says, I will die and be buried with you, is the strongest part. When you meet people who have come from one land to another land and they grow old, and I've talked to a number of them, they always say, I wish I could go home. I wish I could go back to the land of my birth. Or at least I want to be buried in the land of my birth, but not Ruth. She's cutting ties with Moab and says, Naomi, wherever you die, wherever you're buried, that's where I'm going to die, that's where I'm going to be buried. Some have called Ruth's commitment, this statement of her commitment, the greatest statement on commitment in all of Scripture. It's huge. It really is a conversion as she pledges allegiance to Naomi and the God of Naomi. If I could back up for a minute, one has to wonder what had Ruth seen in the life of Naomi to cause such a commitment? Not only to Naomi, but to convert to the God of Naomi rather than the gods of Moab. Something had been seen by these girls and their mother-in-law to attract them so strongly to this mother-in-law, Naomi. And so Ruth makes her stand. And it brings up the issue of faith, of commitment, of loyalty. And that's the one word I'd like to plant in your head as you think about chapter 1, loyalty. How is your loyalty? Are you a person characterized by the virtue called loyalty? Naomi returns to Bethlehem and the people in the end of the chapter, the last section, they go out to greet her. Now remember Bethlehem. Now, had Jesus been born? No, it's not that Bethlehem. Same place, but many years different. Jesus hadn't been there yet. It's a little village. Everybody knew Elimelech and Naomi. 
It's been about 10 years. She comes home, and they come out, and there's a question in their eyes. It's on their lips. Is this Naomi? She's been, a, she's been changed. She's suffered greatly. And so Naomi responds, no, it's not Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, because Almighty, and Naomi uses not the word Lord, not the word God. She says the Almighty, the powerful one, El Shaddai, he has dealt bitterly with me. And thus concludes the chapter. And I like to call this last section, the end of chapter 1, the Lord and grace. The Lord and grace. Why grace? Because the last line of the chapter. Let me pick up a couple words from the last verse in the chapter 1. We read, So Naomi returned from Moab. And what was going on in Bethlehem? As the barley harvest was beginning... Now remember how the chapter started. The chapter started with a famine. It ends with a harvest. It began with a family going out. It concludes with these women coming back. And I want to emphasize again, they had gone out from Bethlehem. Now they come back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. In the middle of this story, Ruth has made this tremendous statement of loyalty. And I want you to think with me today about the word loyalty. It's not a common word. Mostly in our culture, we don't talk about loyalty. We don't have a sense of loyalty. In fact, if you talk about my generation or a younger generation and previous generations, one of the distinctions is we're not loyal. There's no brand name identity with us. You don't like the restaurant? Find another one. There are plenty. Your team loses? Find a winning team. Brand name loyalty? What's that? My Uncle Jerry is a classic example. He's now 70 years old. He worked all his life in Glendale and Burbank on the military equipment, hydraulics. And in the 70s, he bought a Chevy El Camino. He still owns it. Wouldn't drive anything but a Chevy. Well, that's what Jerry used to say. Of all things, a couple of years ago, I almost passed out when he drove up in a brand new Toyota. Loyalty? More than half the students in our schools are either living with a single parent or they are children of divorce. Marriage? Loyalty? To whom? To family? To children? To an idea? Not in the USA. This morning I ask you to consider the book of Ruth. And as you read through it this week, to think about loyalty, especially in chapter 1. To think about Ruth's statement to Naomi. And to think about your life. What does loyalty mean to you? Is it a value at all? Are you loyal to God? Are you loyal to your parents? Are you loyal to your children? Are you loyal to a spouse? Are you loyal to a company? Are you loyal to your friends? Are you loyal to anything or anybody? What is loyalty in your life? And I have some questions, and as we prepare for communion, you may want to look at the back of the outline and consider loyalty in your life. And as we conclude this morning, I want to share a story written by Lewis B. Smeeds. He was writing a book or series of articles on commitment, and he tells this story. <laughs> It's simply amazing. 
That's not the story. Do I need to do something? Thank you. Lewis Meads tells this story, writing about commitment. John Cooper was a sturdy, sprightly man who married a farm girl named Margie back in 1941. And Margie and John settled into life with high hopes. John wanted to become the country's biggest onion grower. He was a farmer. But four years later, with two little children in the house, Margie fell victim to polio and was destined to spend the rest of her life mostly in an iron lung. Gone were the payoffs and the things a man is entitled to in marriage. No housekeeper, no sex partner, no child bearer, no budget balancer. Gone, too, was the high hopes of becoming a big onion farmer. You can't make it on onion farming when you're spending big chunks of the day caring for a paralyzed wife. Then John and Margie celebrated their 40th, when they celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary, someone came along to ask John, how had you been so faithful for 40 years to Margie and her life in an iron lung? And here was John's reply. I'm a Christian, and we keep our promises. What about you? Are you a promise keeper? Are you loyal? Not the kind of promise keeping that grits its teeth and says, well, we set it in front of the preacher, so I guess I'll have to stay with it. Not that kind of promise keeping. The kind of promise keeping, rather, that John had to Margie because he accepted the life that had been given to him and he lived it to the fullest. When Margie finally died after more than 40 years of marriage to John, their son, Dale, asked his dad, John, Dad, how did you do it? How did you live this remarkably faithful life to Mom all those years? And here's what John said. He said, I never thought about doing anything else. You just do it, and God helps you. And this morning, as we come together and gather around the Lord's table... Again, I want to lift up the word loyalty and ask you, are you loyal? And as you come to the table, to remember Jesus, who's loyal to you. Think of these scriptures. Jesus said, I will never leave you. Jesus said, I will never forsake you. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And this morning, as we look at this little book of Ruth, and we think about one woman's loyalty to another, it reminds us of Jesus' loyalty and unconditional commitment to us. And I want to encourage you in that loyalty today. God's loyal to you. Jesus loves you. He's with you. And if life has been great this week, celebrate that. Celebrate God's love. If life has not been great this week, know that God hasn't abandoned you. God's with you forever and God will be loyal to you.